Welcome to the Kansas Reflector Podcast. My name's Clay Wirestone. I'm the opinion editor here at The Reflector. For transgender Kansans, changing their names and identity documents to reflect their true selves can be an arduous and expensive process. A new program from Kansas Legal Services aims to change that for moderate and low-income Kansans. I'm joined today by Tori Gleason, who's, a, who's been a healthcare provider in Western Kansas for 15 years and is a grad student at the KU School of Medicine. Hi, Tori. Hello. And Ellen Bertels, who is the founder of the Kansas Name Change Project at Kansas Legal Services. So to start things out today, Tori, uh, to, to quote Shakespeare, what's in a name? Can you tell me a little bit about the importance of names and name changing to transgender folks? So you'll, you'll, you'll uh, quote an important person. I'm going to quote Dr. Seuss um, in Horton, here's a who. We are here, we are here, we are here. And there's something about that context of being able to say exactly who you are and how you want to be presented and how you want to be addressed in this world. And so I think that's an important thing because, again, I've struggled with identity my entire life. I've known since I was my earliest memories, five, six. I've known I was different, but I grew up pre-internet. So that was a, kind of a fun time, as we know. And so I didn't have representation. I didn't have someone I knew that was like me. I just knew I didn't fit in. And so navigating this name change process, navigating this, you know, social transition and how I want to see how I want the world to see me was an important part of my expression, my autonomy and my sense of self. And and so name is everything. And, and there's statistics to back up that when that name does not align with your gender expression, there's violence that happens. There's horrible things that happen. 32% of people uh, of the 2015 trans survey, which was 27,715 respondents, um, when they gave documentation that did not match their gender expression, 32% had adverse outcomes. They were asked to move. They were asked to leave. They were they were harassed verbally. They were assaulted. Um, horrible things do happen just because that name does not align. So when in healthcare and health equity work, we talk about those social determinants of health, and that basically that that social aspect of that social inclusion and that social network is really important. And this name change project that the amazing Ellen is doing is literally life changing. So Ellen, uh, moving on, on, on to you, what, what brought you to this work? What, what, um, what, what kind of sparked your, your interest in this? Sure, so uh, in 2019, I had just finished my first year in law school at the uh, KU School of Law. And at the, at the very end of June, I think it was like June 24th or 26th of 2019, uh, I saw a tweet about a case that had happened in Kansas uh, Lambda Legal basically brought a lawsuit against the Office of Vital Statistics and two other state agencies, because for 20 years or more, those state agencies had refused to correct birth certificates for transgender folks, and specifically refused to correct the gender marker on those uh, birth certificates. So uh, Lambda Legal filed, law, uh, filed a lawsuit against them, uh, and they came to a consent decree in 2019 that said not only could trans folks change the gender marker on their birth certificate, but in fact, they would make the process so easy that you didn't have to go through court to do it. So I got curious. Uh, I, <laughs> that sparked my interest. And uh, I started sort of working with this idea of doing a name change clinic at KU over the course of the rest of the summer. I came back 
uh, chatted with one of my best friends, uh, DC Hegert, who was also a law student at KU. And hilariously, DC had also had the same idea halfway across the country uh, the exact same summer because of that lawsuit. So for the next six months, we started working with the Douglas County Legal Aid Society, which is uh, legal aid in Lawrence, and it's stationed in KU Law. And we started pitching this like pipe dream of what if we could help trans folks, specifically low income trans folks in Kansas, get their names legally changed for free. It, we, we went to do two or three people in the first year. Uh, when our flyer accidentally went public in November of 2019, we came back the next day and we had 43 phone calls overnight. We had, we had voicemails from 3 a.m. from folks saying, I saw your flyer. I saw that it was getting thousands of shares. I was so nervous I wouldn't be able to get in. So I had to call you in the middle of the night to make sure I was on your wait list. So that started off another year and a half of just really, really amazing opportunities for advocacy in the state. We founded a permanent clinic at KU, does this work. And uh, last fall, 2020 fall, I pitched um, a fellowship with Kansas Legal Services to take that work from being in Lawrence specifically and to take it across Kansas. So I'm now operated out of Wichita. I got funding to do a two-year fellowship where my whole job is to provide uh, trans and non-binary folks, low and moderate income, with free legal services, not only with name changes, but with identity document changes. So birth certificates, driver's licenses, passports. Uh, and on top of that, I also can have some flexibility. So um, one important thing that, that kind of gets overlooked in the identity document discussion is powers of attorney. Um, they're really, really critical for trans folks, especially people who haven't gotten married maybe to their partner. So I have a little flexibility to help out with that type of thing too. Well, and, and Ellen, thank you so much for emphasizing the fact that when we talk about this as, as you know, name change, it really encompasses a, a whole host of documents and identity markers that, that go well beyond names, but certainly names are kind of at a, at a center. Uh, so, so Tori, can you just talk a little bit about some of the challenges? I mean, you started to talk about this earlier, about some of the challenges created by not having you know, gender affirming identification of various kinds. Sure. So, you know, when I, mean, I got this kind of thing, the same time that they saw this lawsuit come across, I did too. And it's, it's that finally I get to be me. I get to finally basically plant my set, flag and say, this is who I am. And so, but I knew that it was going to be an arduous journey to get through and just trying to navigate that process. Um, we also know that, I mean, very few people actually have that that aligns. You know, 11% of trans folk, which we're talking about 1.4 million people in the United States. In the state of Kansas alone, we have 9,300 adults, 1,300 uh, adolescents aged 13 to 17. We're almost talking 11,000 people. And not everyone that's trans, and I just want to say this, um, feels the need for name change, legal name change, and, and they're just as, as valid as those that go through it. But for those of us that this is important, part of their journey, um, it, it's hard. You know, just showing that identification, uh, one of the, my most anxious things is TSA agents at, at, the, at the airport when documentation does not match your gender expression. You know, just anytime you get carded, if you will, if you're having beverages uh, for a Sunday football game, you know, and if before those documents align, 
it would just be anxiety inducing. And so it's just those little moments. Now, I didn't see the, that, uh, you know, overt discrimination, if you will, um, you know, when I would be, be out in public, but it, it's the fear. And, and, and we know that those are, those are important things, safety, privacy, you know, and that feeling of empowerment and, you know, decrease, decreasing stress are all vital reasons for going through a name change. And so it's just, it's important. And we also know that 68% of people don't, that are trans don't have anything on, in, their, in their name and preferred uh, pronoun um, the, the documents that match. So 68% out of 1.4 million. And in that particular survey, that was 27,715 respondents. So that is some impressive, speaking as from the journalistic perspective, that's some impressive uh, numerical recall there. So uh, Ellen, so take us through a little bit. Uh, what does the process of getting these, getting the documents changed, getting some of this, this, um, this array of identification papers kind of changed and set up? What does that involve? How, how much time and effort does it take? Sure. First of all, totally agree. Tori is, I, I have like a Cheshire grin listening to Tori just rattle off numbers. She's so amazing. Uh, so as for the identity document kind of process, I think the, the best sort of theme, like the best way to describe it is to say that it is just a lot of administrative uh, like finagling. There are so many tiny steps to the process. And the thing is like not, none of the individual steps are difficult right? It's not like filing a civil rights lawsuit by any means, but frankly, they're annoying and they take a while. And there's all sorts of details and there's all sorts of phone calls and all sorts of papers you have to bring with you. Um, so in Kansas, we're lucky. The name change process is relatively easy and also relatively safe for trans folks specifically. Um, it's essentially, you file a bunch of paperwork, you've got a petition, you've got a proposed order, and there's certain, certain pieces of information you have to provide in that in that paperwork. You file those with the court. You might have a hearing. You might not have a hearing. Uh, that's, again, one of those situations where it's administrative finagling because every judge in every county has a different process for how they want to do a name change. So you have to figure out what county you're in. You have to file the paperwork. You have to figure out what judge you're assigned to. And then you have to call that judge up and say, hey, judge, how do you want to do this? I know this is done there are and, and as many different ways to do a name change in Kansas as there are civil judges in Kansas. So um, I don't mind doing it. I'm really glad to do it. And I also have done it enough that I kind of know to expect a little bit of frustration and confusion along the way. But I think for a lay person, for a non-lawyer, it's so much to navigate through. And then once you have the name change order itself, you have to take that order and you have to change IDs at, you know, five, six, seven different administrative agencies, and each of those agencies has their own process. So, um, you know, you, you go to the Kansas DMV for your driver's license if you're a resident of Kansas. For the birth certificate, you have to go to the state where you were born, and the process for changing your gender marker and your birth and your name on a birth certificate differs by every single state. So here in Kansas, like I said earlier, that process is really easy, but in some states, you have to prove that you have gone through some sort of surgical intervention in order to get that gender marker change. And that is, uh, you know, so pretty self-evidently expensive, intrusive information to help provide to the state. And it's um, often not something trans folks are interested in, can afford, or, uh, you know, have access to in most parts of the country. 
I don't mean to speak for trans folks when I say that, but the, the statistics show that it's very, very clear that those types of barriers can make it more difficult for folks. So anyway, I don't want to bog you down with the details, but I will say that a lot of little tiny details to keep up with. And for a lawyer who's doing it uh, and who's done it, it's not so hard. But for someone who's trying to navigate that process on their own, it can be really confusing and it's expensive. Yeah, I mean, can we can we talk about the cost at, at all? I mean, what's what 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 are you seeing in terms of like averages for, for something like this? Sure. So first you have your attorney cost. Um, in my case, my clients don't have to pay attorney fees, which is really nice, but I would say it's not uncommon for an attorney to charge $500, $700 for a name change, um, just from what I've heard. There is a filing fee cost in Kansas that's uh, baseline $197. There is a cost for publication or for certified mail, so you have to provide notice to interested parties of your name change. And if you're doing publication where you publish a personal ad in the newspaper stating what your old name is and what your new name is, uh, that can be $150 to $500. Uh, if you want to change your driver's license in Kansas, it's $55. If you want to change your birth certificate, it's minimum $30. Um, with, and if you want more certified copies, then it, it's $15 on top of that for every certified copy. And then the passport is anywhere between $110 and $160 to change. Yeah. And I mean, this is not, I mean, I would venture to say that most, most of us don't necessarily have all that just laying around the house either. Yeah. That's, that's a real barrier. So, so Tori, um, you know, kind of, of back to you, some of your uh, work as a healthcare provider in, in Western Kansas has been kind of serving, you know, working with LGBTQ uh, folks, other kind of, um, underrepresented or marginalized groups, you know, what are kind of the challenges that are faced, you know, in Kansas as you get away from kind of the, you know, the, the Northeast kind of blue patch or whatever into, into the rest of the state? I think the, the hardest thing, you know, A, as, as healthcare providers, one of our job is to be patient advocates and patient navigators for, for those patients and being able to, if you will, be, a, you know, an air traffic controller and just have them land on the right runway and get them connected with the people they need. And so some of that is just being a great connector with the Ellens that are amazing in this world. You know, even this morning, we had one that connected uh, to me and I sent her sent this individual right to Ellen. And it, it's just, a those, those are the type of things that you just know that that's part of my job. It's part of my duty, but it's also something I wish somebody would have done that for me when I was younger. I wish somebody would have done that for me even before I was a healthcare professional. And so getting hospitals, healthcare clinics, uh, you know, federally qualified health centers, um, health departments at our local level to understand that A, um, our health equity is an issue and a lot of times that our health outcomes are significantly different. Um, and if you don't know, um, because you're not asking, you're going to miss those things. And the thing that I would like to see them do is to be willing to ask. You know, there's this, this misperception that, that, oh, we can't ask those things. We can't ask about sexual orientation and gender identity and, you know, um, sex recorded at birth. Those are, those are taboo things. And the research actually doesn't support that. You know, there was a study here um, a few years ago, um, Rulo et al. Um, it, was, it was basically that 78% uh, um, of, of uh, excuse me, 3% of, of 
of patients that had the sexual orientation, gender identity questions on their, their forms were actually upset. So we oftentimes don't put those on there because of this fear of how our patients are going to get upset. The reality is it's only 3% of patients that get upset seeing those questions. The other thing is, is that we know that 78% of healthcare providers are afraid that that documentation can't be asked because again, that people won't answer that. And the reality is it's 10%. 10% won't answer those questions. And so that perception of of Midwest nice and, and wanting to be nice to everybody, but by being nice to everybody, sometimes you don't see everybody. And if we're going to actually address health equity, health outcomes for all population, again, we're talking in Kansas, 92,000 people in the state of Kansas that are LGBTQ age 13 and older. And so that's a significant part of our population that needs to make sure that they are addressed, that they work through preventative things with their primary care physician, through specialty visits, through all of that. And just having providers understand that it's okay to ask. Most patients will, will answer in the affirmative of one way or another. If those that don't ask, that's fine. I respect that as well. But again, we can't connect them to the services if we're not willing to ask those questions. Great. Um, so, Ellen, uh, you you told me before we started taping that you have uh, that the the name change uh, uh, project has been up and running now for about three months. Um, so, how's it gone? Kind of what have what have been the early reactions for you? It's going so well. Honestly, it's going better than I could have possibly expected. I came into it. I'm really lucky to have come into this job with the experience from the clinic at KU. So I had, you know, kind of a ground level understanding of this is probably what it's going to look like. Uh, I'm going to do a bunch of outreach to begin with so I can kind of build up a client base. Specifically, I wanted to reach out to um, rural communities because that's not something that we were able to connect with quite as well up in Lawrence. And I wanted to connect with uh, folks in southeastern and western Kansas where it just wasn't feasible for a lot of people to drive to Northeast Kansas to get their name changed. Although that's what a lot of people kind of have to end up having to do. Um, so it's amazing. I have more clients than I can handle right now. <laughs> I've had to call a bunch of people in the last two weeks and say, hello, I want to help you. We've done the complex check. Everything is good. Let's put you on a wait list. <laughs> I will get back to you in January, which I never thought I would have a wait list. I kind of thought I would be, you know, begging for clients at certain points. Um, but but there's a there's a huge need, and I think specifically for rural folks, for uh, folks in Western Kansas, there's been so many decades of not having a necessarily visible affirming attorney who uh, was willing to do this work and could do it specifically for free. That there's a backlog for many many years of people who've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this type of resource to come up. So one thing we're working through right now is filling that backlog and making sure that all of those folks are getting uh, their name changes processed in, in due order. And um, I also have a lot of flexibility, like I said earlier. So there's all sorts of stuff that I, I hope I can do over the course of the next couple of years. I'm really interested in public education. When we first started telling attorneys about the gender marker change process uh, and about that lawsuit that had been uh, filed and, and come to a consent decree in Kansas, they were shocked. There were so many attorneys who were like, oh, they can do that now? Oh, I hadn't heard about that. And, and not just, you know, LGBTQ attorneys or, or folks who serve the LGBTQ uh, community, but folks who run into people all the time, you know, trans folks need, trans non-binary folks, gender diverse folks 
they need wills, <laughs> they need uh, like corporation filings, they need all sorts of legal help where they may come to their attorney and say like, I need XYZ, XYZ very like basic legal help. And also in the meantime, do you know if I can change my birth certificate? So pushing that message, pushing the, the rights and accessibility that folks do have in the law right now is really important to me, uh, as is doing public education on kind of currently evolving rights. So I live in Wichita. Wichita recently passed its non-discrimination ordinance, which had been a recently a many years long fight, but but in the history of Kansas, a many decades long fight. And I think there's a lot of questions that remain about the contents of that NDO, the enforcement power of that NDO. So we're hoping as well to roll out a public education program about the NDO and about statewide rights in the next few months, because I think there's a, a big gap there and um, I have the, the time and the, the opportunity to do it. So, so for both of you, um, you know, you've both, you know, kind of seen the intersection of, um, you know, kind of state, both state law and healthcare practice uh, on LGBTQ Kansans in a lot of different places of the state. You know, if you could wave your magic wand and um, I mean, not that we have them, but you know, if there was one and you had it, what would be the thing, the, the one or two things that you would change um, to make things better uh, right now? And Tori, we can start with you. Absolutely. And I know this has been uh, definitely a, uh, um, a triggering phrase here lately, but diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, hospital, critical access hospitals, healthcare institutions, um, many of them have already have their, uh, um, their, their DEI committees and health equity committees intact, but looking at patients, because oftentimes as healthcare providers, we go in the back door, you know, we, we, we sit down, we go to our uh, clinic suite, we go to our physician suite, and we only see things from our side of the need to need conversation. Being able to have diverse voices around the table to make sure that we're thinking outside the box, that we have an intersectional experience and, you know, the learned experiences, having community advisory board members from outside of that, those walls are important to make sure that we're delivering better outcomes uh, for health. And so making sure that DEI is, is, is again, that's how we are such a great state. Our diversity is our strength. Um, you know, I grew up in Dodge City, Kansas, and, and you look at places like Garden City. Garden City at their high school, less than 2,000 students have 26 languages spoken from 22 countries. And again, that diversity is our strength. But if we're not looking at health equity uh, issues within those populations, then we're missing the boat. So I think we have to lead with, uh, with DEI. I think it's vital that we do that. Um, and it's nothing to be afraid of. It's something that we have to have in order to, to basically achieve good health outcomes. Ellen? I've got two. One's more practical and one's more kind of amorphous, but I'll start with the amorphous one. Um, a thing that I don't get to talk about a lot when I am, you know, speaking with other professionals and, and when I'm in, in a more like professional setting is the joy that I experience every day in my job. It is such a wonderful life to live in Kansas and to work with the LGBTQ community and to work with low-income folks and to get to interface every single day with trans folks who maybe have been shut out of professional um, organizations, have been sh shut out by professionals in the healthcare and in the law previously, and to 
be a person to say like, oh yes, I can, I can do this for you. I can do it for free. And the joy that that brings folks and the joy that I get in response to that is just really wonderful. So I wish the world could know about um, the joy of trans Kansans uh, and, and the wonderful lives they lead and the, the complex communities that they've built for themselves here. Uh, I'm a bystander, I'm a cisgender woman, so it's not my place to, to you know, dwell, but I'm really lucky to be able to visit with that and, and interact with that. And um, I just wish more people understood, uh, even, in, even in a flyover state like ours, flyover state, quote unquote, uh, the, the joy that we have here. The second thing is um, accessibility. And I think Tori spoke to this pretty well as well. The, there's a lot of barriers I think that's kind of been the theme of what I've talked about today, are the barriers to accessing the law. And sometimes those are things like money, and sometimes those are things like just administrative XYZ things you have to do. And sometimes that's the sentiment that um, institutions enter, in, enter into relationships with trans folks with, right? So like a courtroom that is generally affirming, um, but doesn't know maybe all the lingo, doesn't always use the right word. That's such an excellent place to start. Um, and then I think part of what I want to do with my project here is to work on ways that we can make the judiciary a more welcoming place for trans folks so that if they decide to go through the name change process or other legal processes on their own, they feel welcome into that space. Well, Tori and Ellen, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great. Thank you for taking the time. You're very welcome. Yeah, thank you, Clay, for having us.